Blog Talk Radio. Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Join America's leading relationship expert, top holistic life coach, and best-selling author, Dr. D. Yvonne Young, along with a diverse team of regular commentators, experts, and celebrity guests. Be entertained while being informed on the issues that affect you most. Don't miss it. Dr. D. Yvonne Young, providing you the tools you need to start living a profoundly extraordinary life. Good evening, America. Today is November the 17th, 2013, and man, it's time flying by. I want to tell everyone good evening, and tonight we have a show that a lot of you really, 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 really need to listen to. And before I even get into it, I'm just going to say this. If you are looking forward to leaving home more than you are to coming home, you doggone sure do not want to miss this show. Another symptom of this thing is if you found yourself in a situation where you keep waking up in the middle of the night, licking the back of your hand and holding it to your significant other's nose and seeing if you feel cold air or not, you probably do not need to uh, miss this show. And more than anything else, if you are spending more money on weed and aspirin than you are gasoline, you really need to listen to this show. So with that said, I have a, um, a very, very special guest. She is probably one of the most brilliant women that I know. Uh, I don't know why, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that the field of coaching and the field of psychology can bait this woman into becoming uh, licensed to do what she does or to come into the coaching environment because, being honest, when I need advice, I actually go to this sister to get it. She is um, a featured award-winning journalist. She has held down the anchor desk. She, at present, is the host of CBS Television's Great Day Houston. She has won Emmy Awards, a Gracie Allen Award, a Telly Award. Um, I guess the only thing missing really is a uh, music award, but we wouldn't want Kanye to run up and steal it from her. But with that (laughs) said, this is one of the most brilliant women that I have ever met in my life, and she is as stunning on the outside and on the inside. So with that said, I'd like to welcome my guest host to the program tonight, Miss Deborah Duncan. How are you doing, Good evening. I'm good. It's funny uh, what you were saying when you were setting up the show about not looking forward to going home. I remember my first marriage that I would drive home, look in the driveway, and see his car, and then I'd circle the block a few more times and figure out where else I could go before going home. You think that was an indicator that maybe things weren't right? Uh, I can tell you um, that whatever idiot, well, I'm not going to say that. God, I cannot (laughs) say that. But any man that would be lucky enough to have a wife that looks like you with your brain and with um, the way that you handle swag, and I'm not just talking about in the style that you see on the outside, but I have never in my life seen a person that can host a regional television show that airs before 9 or 10 million people, and you can go from talking about lymphatic surgery to uh, vegetables to what is the right color nail polish to put on and make all of that stuff sound like it's something you cannot afford to miss. 
So my first question, before we go into the show, how the hell do you do that? You know what? I, I, I really think that people fall into, you know, I always say that you sometimes you have a job, sometimes you have a career, and a job is something you labor at. A career, I think it's something that's of you, by you, what your natural self is. I went to five elementary schools because my dad was in the military. We moved from country to country, and I think that was my early foundation in setting up what I do. I would do the best I could to connect to people the first day I walked into that school because I knew that I would be leaving them at any given moment. I would try to make a best friend on the first day. So you ask those questions. What's your favorite color? Do you have any brothers? Do you have any sisters? Where do you live? What do you do? What do you want to be when you grow up? All that type of stuff. I truly do find everything interesting. My first kind of uh, moment in my brain is to, to, to find something, whatever it is, and find relevance in it, and how does it connect all of us together. Wow. I never thought for the life of me that I would be figuring out how an earring could go on a lady's shoe and make the shoe look brand new. But you have yes, found yeah. Yes. Hopefully you're not trying that at home yourself. But if you are, we need to talk about that. <laughs> hey, hey, well, for my guys that are listening in Atlanta, do what you do. Uh, with that said, somebody will catch me. With that said, we have uh, often talked about relationships on your program, Great Day Houston. And when every time we've done that or I do a show about people connecting with the wrong doggone person or they have the right person and they don't realize that they need to grow the hell up and quit being so immature or narcissistic, sometimes a person is the right person for a certain season in your life in order to, I I don't want to use this word, but agitate you into getting rid of your rough edges because the next person that God is going to send your way is actually the right person, but you can't have Mr. Right until you get finished with Mr. and Mrs. Right now. Deborah, would right, you agree right. with and that? And, you know, the other thing that we got to look at, too, is that, um, you know, the average lifespan around the world in 1900 was about 40 years old. So you got married at 12, had your children, and then you'd be gone in a few minutes, right? Uh, so you talk about seasons in life. We actually are living long enough now that we actually have several seasons in life. You look at the highest uh, rate for divorces, I believe, around that kind of late 40s, 50s. Uh, type of area and what happens at that time we become different people you know you get married early on if you stay married if you have children sometimes they become your diversion and then when they're gone from the house you're suddenly looking at each other going who are you because you're different people Um, I know early on for me it was I married somebody who fulfilled something so I thought I had no self-esteem And so having no self-esteem, I married somebody who I thought had a lot of self-esteem, but I mistook that because it really was arrogance. We both just didn't have good self-esteem, and we exhibited it in a different way. You know, I was the one who said, I can't do anything. I'm not good at this. I'll try it, but I'm sure I'm not good. And I married somebody who said, I'm better at it than anybody else in the world. And so there we were, two people who were compromised in ourselves. So when we came together at that time, I really think that the reason why – we um, came together was to discover that, yes, we both had some work to do, and uh, we learned a good lesson in that, and then we had to move on. And I think sometimes people get stuck in this thing and not knowing when to move on, um, but when we did, we both became the people that we should have been. Got a big question with that statement. What most people don't know that you're saying is that you were a very successful woman at that point, 
You were uh, on billboards all over the city or the market that you were in during that season in your life. You were a household name. You had already uh, been well-established at a national level. So how does a woman, with all of that going for her, end up in a vulnerable uh, position, and how do you end up not knowing what you're working with, because I think that's the starting point for a lot of people getting into a bad relationship. Yeah. You know, I think for me, I know that um, it comes from not uh, having a father who could stand up for us when we were younger. And so there's two things that happen. You can kind of control your work environment. And I was the overachiever kid in school, the overachiever person in work, because you can control that. What we can't control oftentimes is our personal relationships. And sometimes we settle or we go for the wrong thing because the outcome is what we expect. We expect it not to work because it didn't work early on in those, those intimate relationships that you had uh, in your family. And so you expect it not to work, therefore you can't be hurt. If, if you don't have that promise and you don't believe in that promise, you can't be hurt, you know. And um, for me, in marrying my first husband, I, I, I question whether I really should have done that in the sense of did I really love that person. I didn't. I think I felt like I needed that person. There's a difference between needing somebody and wanting somebody. You know, needing somebody is um, you, more concrete. You can say, well, if you do this and I do this, then we're okay. Wanting somebody is a choice. And when you leave it up to somebody to have a choice, that's scary. That leaves you vulnerable. But what is love about? What is truly giving about? You have to be willing to be vulnerable. Okay. With that said, and this is something I would like for the listeners, right? we have people that are tuning into this program from the Caribbean to the Virgin Islands to Australia, uh, a huge following in Australia and in Canada. So I just want all of us to realize that, number one, I don't care what continent you are on, I don't care what hemisphere you are on, ask yourself this question, are happy and that may seem like a simple question but it really is not a lot of people have never asked themselves that question and those that are afraid to answer it because they really don't want to hear the truth because many of you are not happy and I'm going to tell you as we go into this program this evening it will do you no good absolutely no good whatsoever to deny that as a matter of fact I want you to ponder this what hurts more is it the idea of leaving or the idea of staying, or what if nothing changes? And, of course, what I'm saying to you is that you can't change anything, but in that moment and this moment, you need to figure out what is your motivation for being in it. So, Deborah, with that stated, what do you think is the motivation for people to stay in a relationship that they know damn well is ill-suited for them? Fear. Fear. And, you know, that fear can be based on so many different things. For some people, it's the fear of being alone. And sometimes that fear is very tangible, as in, you know, we oftentimes see that extreme form of women who stay in abusive relationships and they have children, they don't have a job, they don't know how they're going to take care of themselves, and they feel like they can't leave. Well, of course, we know that you can. It's going to be tough, but you can. There are uh, you know, advocates out there to help you with that. There are resources out there to help you with that. But fear is one of those things. I, and, and, and so that was the extreme form I'm talking about with the abusive relationships. But a lot of times, too, it's fear of what people would think of me if I'm alone. What do people think of me? What's wrong with me? Does it point the finger that something's wrong with me? 
And I think, you know, fear is the other thing. And the fear of also being alone. I know for me, uh, I thought, can I be alone? And we're in such a society where, you know, do you go to dinner by yourself? Do you go to the movie by yourself? What if you're by yourself? What does it say about you? We always think people are looking at us and casting judgment. And so you have to be okay with yourself before you can ever be with anyone else. And you've said that over and over again, that sometimes that's what the problem is. You don't feel like you're okay by yourself, so you try to stick yourself with somebody else and think that that completes you. You know, I, I love that line from the Jerry McGuire movie, you complete me. Nobody can complete you. <laughs> you know, they can add to a total you, but they can't really complete you. If you have something missing, you have to fulfill that yourself. That is a thought to chop down on. I'm going to say this, and we're going to take about a 55-second break, but I want everyone listening to think about this. If the thought of leaving feels like a huge relief, you may have already made the decision to leave, but some of you are just waiting for permission to do so. My suggestion is who in the hell is going to give you that permission if you don't? <laughs> you know, you may not think that you can leave because of your children or because of vows or because you don't want to disappoint your long-dead deceased grandmother, but you have to address search, uh, beliefs like that and ask yourself, you know what, am I more concerned about how things appear than how they really are. You're listening. You're to so right. And Dave, when it comes to children, that you oftentimes parents, people have to ask themselves, am I using that as an excuse? We're not asking you to not be good parents to your children because as we you know, there are several cases where people have gotten divorced, but they didn't divorce their children. So that's a totally different, different topic, but people use that as the excuses to why they can't leave. Wow, that is really deep. We're going to take about a 55-second uh, break. You're listening to Conversation with Dr. D. Yvonne Young with my special guest, CBS Television's Deborah Duncan. We'll be right back in about 55 seconds. Young, and you're listening to yours truly. Tonight, our topic is straight up about are you with Mr. Right or Mrs. Right now? Or are you with Mr. or Mrs. Wrong or Mr. or Mrs. Hell No? The simple thing <laughs> is that there are some signs that can tell you when your relationship truly, without even a doubt, really sucks. Now, here's the first thing. If your significant other or you is finding that you are hostile, and this is a lot of the time, and you are living with a lot of tension, feeling stressed, and not able to express yourself the way you want, I can tell you this. 
your relationship is not healthy for you. Another thing is if you are experiencing criticism and contempt, meaning does your significant other often criticize or demean you, or are you walking around feeling on the edge like you just cannot do anything right? And here's what's even worse. When you have a, uh, one of those hot ghetto mess relationships where you or your mate is always criticizing the other person in public in front of friends and family, or they act like they want to mock you, I'm telling you that is not going to get any better. So, Deborah, let me ask you this question. Have you seen these relationships where the only thing that the person can say about the individual that they have uh, been subjected to a sentence to is always something real jacked up or an insult? And when you've seen it, give me an example of that. Yeah, no, it was it was a relationship I was in. My, my job is stupid. I was stupid. She can't this. She's stupid. She said this. She did, you know. And it was like it, it would always catch me off guard because I think, why are you saying that about me? And why can't you understand that when people hear you say that, they think that you're crazy, you know? Um, because why would you even say that openly about your spouse, even if you truly believed it? Why are you going to say it in a room full of people? And that should have been a big enough indicator for me, but but I kept thinking, um, in order for me to leave, it has to be something bigger than that. Uh, he, he has to beat me. He has to cheat on me. He has to because you don't break a vow, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then I finally realized that just the fact that you're not happy and it's not fixable, then you have to own up to the fact that you made. A mistake or not, because I'm going to tell you that, you know, people always say to me, I never saw you two together. And I'm sure they said the same thing to him as well. We never really saw you two together. You should not have been together. But uh, we chose each other for a reason, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, when we parted ways is when I understood what my mistake was, and I hope he understood what his mistake was. And we learned from that. I think he's with a wife now who is perfect for him. I'm with a husband who is perfect for me. And for me, the reason why it's perfect is that he appreciates who I am and what I am. There's not a demeaning word that comes out of his mouth about me. If we have an issue we have to talk about, we talk about it. And there's a difference between trying to convince somebody that they're wrong and understanding why somebody thinks they might be right. And we have conversations about things. Um, so I had to go through that first one in order to understand what my second husband uh, is and, what, and that I deserve to be with somebody like my second husband. You know, something that I just thought about was when people pull the Hoover maneuver, and here's what that means is that, you know, there's a time when relationships go there. And when I say there, I'm referring to that place where you go, what the hell? So this person – you say to them, you know what, I need some space. And you see what happens is this person that you're with will typically panic, and they realize that losing you now could potentially be a reality. Now, to combat this, uh, you're not quite so ex may start showering you with gifts and compliments and promises of love and affection just to keep this relationship going. But here's what I need you to get unstuck from stupid people and hear this. If this person will not commit to you in the long term right when that situation comes up, more than likely what they're doing is trying to keep things going and keep you on an even keel because it makes them, not you, them feel more stable and it will make you feel more stupid if you see it any other way than that because what usually happens next is that you start hoping 
you start believing things may actually be different this time around, and now you're back in contact, you know, you, you're looking forward to this cycle being broken, and then what you have lost total sight of is that this person may not be trying to consciously manipulate or deceive you, but they just look at it like this. You know what? I know that I would rather do this and keep you in my holding pattern then allow change to take a course. Now, here's another clue. If you have broken up and gotten back together five times or more, first, if that's the case, please call me. Not right now during the show. I can't talk to you long enough. But if you <laughs> keep going in and out of this functional relationship, and I know love is complicated, but, too, you know, every time you get to a point where you're my uh, Mariah Carey collection of music, and you're playing Merry Christmas Baby on the 4th of July, you know something is wrong. So, Deborah, my question is this. What do you think and what advice would you give people that keep finding this cycle where this person is in, then they're off, then you've separated, but you don't have the guts to divorce because now you are more comfortable with dysfunction and now what was this, what was normal has now become dysfunctional and dysfunctional is now your normal. What do you say to people that are in that situation? You need to stop dancing around the issue and find out the reason why. I mean, for both of you, that you would allow each other to keep going in and out in a relationship like that. It's not normal, okay? It's the, that's where therapy truly does come into play. And you and I both know that there are people who either really get therapy and they go, wow, or people who think that therapy is not for them because they can handle their own stuff. Um, you really have to get to the core reason why. No one should be happy in that dysfunction because that dysfunction really becomes deflection. You know, kind of like all the drama of everything helps you deflect the real reason why you keep going in and out of these types of relationships. There's a problem, and you need to address it. It's like dysfunction kind of attracts dysfunction, and no one's really happy in that. If you want a stable, solid relationship, you have to understand why you keep going in and out and inviting that drama. Because if you don't figure that out, you will never have a stable relationship. Do you think that when people are walking on eggshells, which is, first let me say this to you, when you are walking around the house feeling like your bowels are about to move but they can't, you are definitely in an emotionally unhealthy relationship. And, and typically, here's what's going on. Um, you have a fragile ego, most of us do, and people like us will run back to what they perceive to be a security blanket because that's just what's familiar. And when you get two people stuck in this morbid uh, existence, you be, the two people are now codependent. They do not know how to set healthy limits or boundaries with their partners because they are too afraid, number one, of being alone and, again, of losing what is familiar. So if you find yourself feeling this way, I'm going to tell you, buy my book, Break Up, Don't Break Down, go and, uh, you know, get some book similar to it because at the end of the day, this I'm going to just call it this uh, vacuum cleaner personality is going to suck up all your energy. And at first, yeah, it may be flattering because this person really, and I'm going to say this to women, men, listen to this, ladies. And brothers, I'm not trying to uh, let the cat out the bag, but to be honest, if you're running around in a cat in a bag, your ass is sick. But here's the truth. <laughs> men will not let a woman go because they want access to that vagina and those other body parts. 
and they will be with you with no intention, absolutely no intention of marrying you, no intention of trying to work things out with you, but it's just that territorial, uh, that limbic system reaction, that dopamine or overabundance where the guy is saying, you know what, I want access to sex, and I really don't want anyone else to have her, but I don't want her. Deborah. Yeah, you know, and a lot of it, too, I think is, is, is just, you know, outside of the sex thing. I dated a guy who, you know, through college, who was a college athlete, and it really came down for him of how many notches he could have in his belt because somehow that made him more desirable. See how lovable I am, Mommy? See how many women want me? And women do this, too. See how many guys want me? See, they're all willing to sleep with me. See how many? So why didn't you love me, Daddy, or why didn't you love me, Mommy? And so it's not necessarily because of the sex itself, but it's, if I can bed you, that means I'm worthy. And you, as we know, sex is a whole nother, it's a whole nother show. But what people assign to sex, and it, it, they assign some, some attachment of this makes me in and of itself lovable. If I can bed you, then I'm lovable. And so it doesn't mean do I need to, to um, you know, really work a relationship or be good in a relationship. It's just that one moment right there that says, yep, I'm good. Let me move on to the next one. Yep, I'm good. Let's move on to the next one. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's all kinds of things. That, that's what makes relationships so convoluted is you really have to get down to the core of why you stay in something or why you allow somebody to draw you in to that relationship. As you mentioned, the vacuum cleaner relationship that what I call, you know, you're with a vampire, somebody who sucks your energy. When you see that, and I'm going to go to this one, I know, and, and I'll just do it myself, when my ex-wife and I uh, broke up, and we, me and this woman, if we had three arguments during the entire time we were married, I'll give you $1,000. But what did happen? was that there were constant – well, first, she cheated. So for you guys who are wondering, well, why did y'all break up? She cheated on me. But the, the truth of it got beyond just the cheating is, one, I didn't want anyone else around my daughter. And, and at that time, the, the, I had two daughters. Yes, we did. We had three kids after we got separated, but that's a whole other show. But the <laughs> truth of it is I didn't want anyone around my kids. The other thing was that I was territorial and being a selfish-ass, immature man, I wanted to do what I want to do, but, you know, you have my kids, so I'm going to deprive you of your life, and please don't write me any letters. I'm not that asshole anymore. But the other thing that really was there was I couldn't imagine, and this is what I'm going to say to you listeners out there. This is very important. Uh, are you really willing and able to give this person a fair chance? Do you actually believe that it is possible for them or for you to change? And this is important because if you can't even imagine the possibility that the other person may have it in them act differently, if you've gotten to the point where you no longer believe that they can be reasonable or kind or care about your feelings, then you don't have a chance of shifting your vibration regarding this person. Now, it's not saying, and, and a lot of you are scared to move forward into a better situation because, again, you are stuck holding on to what's familiar. And I'm going to warn you, the familiar is where you've been, but the unknown is where God is trying to take you. So and you and know what, it is my advice. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
the other point you're making about, you know, uh, afraid to move on to something that's better because you're not sure if it's out there. But I would argue that you shouldn't be thinking, let me move on to something that's better. Is it out there? Instead, better needs to be that you can actually be by yourself, that it doesn't have to be with somebody else that makes better. Um, you know, it, somewhere in society, we said, you know, you kind of you go to school, you graduate from high school, or you go to college, the next step is you get married, and that's just what you do. That's what you're supposed to do, right? And when I was 30, I thought, uh-oh, it's about time. In fact, my mom was like, do you like guys? I'm like, well, yeah, mom, I just found the right one. So I started feeling that pressure. But, um, you know, and I kind of made a decision, not based on, I think, the right decisions, but it was like, well, it is about time, and, and he did ask, right? Um, instead of looking at moving on, it's almost like can you just be who you are and what you are Uh, we don't have to go on and find a partner to be in our life if somebody can add to your life and you can add to theirs that's what makes a union but otherwise you just need to know when you need to stay in a friend zone before you jump to the let's get married Let's hook up for good, you know, that type of thing, because it just uh, so many times that pressure, that outside pressure of what you're supposed to do and how society is looking at you if you're single makes people make a lot of bad decisions, I think. You know, we we kind of write a script and put somebody into it, and all of a sudden we get mad when they're not delivering the lines. Like, no, that's not the way it's supposed to go. Well, I don't know how you thought it was supposed to go, but I have my own script over here. And that's when things kind of fall apart. You don't write the script together. Yeah, or you don't, or you do write it and you didn't mean your lines. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. something I want to say to that is like, and, and here's the the caveat: it is best to back off, leave, and work, uh, and not even try to work on something that you already know you don't believe is going to work. Because here's what's up: you cannot create what you cannot imagine, and if so. If you can't even conceive of the idea that there may uh, there might be an ability to give back the vibration that you're putting out there, uh, you can't line that up. And there's no way yeah. in hell. So I'm going to ask you this, Deborah. When people know that uh, you know for a fact that you don't have a partner that's going to change because you're sitting there and you're going, you know what? There you go. You blowing on your soup, and people can hear you, or you already know that you've taken somebody with you, and he or she has a wandering eye, or uh, all of a sudden, where did you get that damn business card from? You know, it's just you see these little bitty signs. Like I know this one lady out now with everywhere she we went, she was always freaking complaining and being condescending to the wait staff or being, uh, you know, well, this isn't right, that isn't right. And I'm, I'm a guy, I'm not going to eat some slop either, but, hell, at least be nice because most people. Yeah, well, some people need to stand on somebody else's back to make themselves feel taller. The problem is once you stand up, they fall off. Wow. And they're back on the bottom again. And so that, that should be a key indicator if you're dating anybody. It's a key indicator that you're never going to be good enough for them either. When, give me what you, because I know out of all the stuff you've done journalistically, if we were to look at some celebrity relationships, what three train wrecks do you either see currently in the making or did you see coming? Hmm. Um, you know, I, I, it, I hesitate to, to comment on some of those only because 
I wasn't on the inside of those relationships, right? I mean, it's the only thing that I know are the, the things that we've uh, seen on magazines and things. You know, I know when you look at like a Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt, the perfect Hollywood couple, right? I mean, they were the perfect couple. They were both at the height of their careers at that time and the whole bit. And all of a sudden you started to see things kind of come about. Like one statement made was that Brad is really – a family man and really wants family. And we heard that Jennifer's like, yeah, well, not yet. I'm not interested in that right now. I'm interested in my career right now. So that equally yoked type of thing. Um, sometimes think people, people think equally yoked is about your money. No, it's, it's about your, your whole constitution, what you believe in and your core values. And so it just looks like, you know, when you know that about those two, it's not a surprise that the cleanup woman, Angelita Jolie, was able to kind of sneak up underneath that, and there she is, the woman with all the adopted children of the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, they worked together, and, and they clicked. And, and now they're the, the darling couple of Hollywood. That's one of those ones that you look at that seemingly was perfect from the outside. And, of course, the the PR mess that they had to deal with is that everyone kept saying they were the perfect couple and they had to rise to, to the occasion. We do that in our personal lives, too, where you had this big wedding and it had to be the right dress and you spent the right money and your ring is big and all this type of stuff. And, and unfortunately, you're looking at a divorce and you're still making payments on that wedding and payments on that ring. And you don't call it quits because you got to keep it going for the pretense of what everybody thinks that you are. And so we see that played out over and over again among celebrities, but it's also played out over and over again in, you know, with everyday couples. I know one of the first gay marriages that I saw was with Star Jones and Al Reynolds. And I knew for a fact that that relationship was not going to work. You know, because I looked at this thing, and here's Star, this dominating man. I mean, I'm sorry, dominating woman. And Al, this dominating man. I mean, this man that really anyone could tell. And I love Al Reynolds today uh, to death. I have a lot of friends that happen to, you know, be gay men. So this isn't about a gay straight thing. But there is no way in hell Al and Star were ever meant to be a couple. Uh, I'll give another example of something. You know what bothered me about watching that was that it was so much about the pageantry Mm -hmm. as opposed to the relationship itself. And sometimes when it's about that pageantry, it just kind of is a red flag. You know, Kim Kardashian actually admitted that in one of her tweets. She goes, you know, I'm sorry, I think I probably got caught up in the whole idea of a wedding. And that's mm-hmm. where things went wrong. And if you'd watched that reality show, you could see, you know, from what little that we got to see of their everyday life together, you're like going, what are you two doing? You don't, you don't even feel like you're connected on a show that's halfway fabricated. There's no connection, you know, but yet there was the whole buildup of the wedding and the, you know, the dress and the $2 million ring, and it just went on and on and on. And it wasn't enough talk about the actual connection and union of this couple. It was about all the external things. And that's when you know you're in trouble. You know, you see that a lot with the planning of the wedding and the craziness that goes on with all of that. That's, that's actually where couples can get lost, and that's a big indicator as to whether you should even be married. You know, I saw that with Chad Ochocinco and Albert. Mm-hmm. Gloria, uh, the thing that was so obvious to me is, number one, you've got these two hot-tempered, overly ego-driven personalities that are performing, I love you, look at how good we look together. She was, I got my pro athlete. He was, I've got my yellow girl with the long hair, my, I guess my um, 
my uh, bonic Barbie dollars for the best description I could come <laughs> up with. Barbie has a little bit more of a brain than Evelyn. But, but when I looked at the two of these these situations, my first thought in, in viewing this is, how many of us, and I'm not talking about wealthy Americans, I'm not talking about stars, I'm talking about just normal folk. How many of us are actually going into a relationship because we are doing it because it's what our friends think we should do, our family is hell-bent on us doing it, or, and I know I'm going to get some letters, but I'm not going to read them, y'all, so don't write them, uh, about people getting married because you're pregnant or something of that nature. Deborah, do you feel that a lot of us are getting into these May December romances, these uh, these other types of relationships, simply because we want everyone to think we're okay? Yeah, absolutely. We we it, again, it's external judgment that if you're not with somebody, then what's what's happening? It's chewing you around a, a a group of people where everybody's getting married or whatever. I I have a friend right now who. Um, she has gotten divorced a couple of times and just broke up with her fiance. But before she was going to break up with him, she said, I'm, she's back on match.com. She's trying to find her next person and it's like for, so that she can hang out with her friends and not be the third wheel, you know, but what's wrong with that picture? It's like, you've been married several times. You just broke up with a fiance. You're going to have to look at who the constant is in the relationship. I know you say this all the time is that that constant in the relationships that keep not working is you. So just having someone on your arm is not going to make it work. Just getting somebody in bed is not going to make it work. You have to do some work on your own to make that next relationship successful. You know, when I looked at that, I was um, often people will come in my office and, and by the time you get to my office, it is um, it is very obvious that one or two things is in play. You really want to make something work, and you're ready to confront yourself, or you just aren't ready. So, so I'm going to give a few reasons why. But how many people don't know that they're not ready? That's that's where the, the crux of the matter is. A lot of people don't know that they're not ready because they can't identify that thing that they keep doing or that thing that they look for or that thing that they allow in their lives that's not right. You know, well, I, I'm going to say this. One of the first things is when you don't trust a whole species of people, meaning if you're a woman and you don't trust the homo sapien male species, <laughs> you got an issue. Or if you're a man and you don't trust anyone that was born with a vagina and can lactate and give birth, you've got issues. Uh, another sign that you're not ready is when you can't see yourself parenting their child because when you fellows hear this as well as you ladies – when you marry someone with a child, they are a package deal. Children are right. not accessories. You cannot exclude them when you want And you don't compete. And you don't compete. There are boundaries that need to be, you know, uh, drawn on, on both sides, but you, you're not going to compete with that child. And at the same time, that parent needs to know when not to use that child as kind of a buffer zone. Mm-hmm. What about this? A lot of people, and, and I believe, because my father met my mother, and 30 days later, he was engaged, married her, and they were married till he died, and she loved that man. He loved her. He had to love her. 
mother was something else. But the uh, my grandfather, same thing. He said he saw my grandmother cross in the street, and he said those hips and those lips, he was whipped. And he married that woman, stayed with her for 50 years. Do you believe, Deborah, that there is a correlation between dating for long and someone actually meeting an instant click, or do you think this is just a situation-by-situation deal? I think there's a couple of things. I mean, one, I think that, you know, for me, I I would feel more comfortable dating somebody long enough because I know those things to look for now. You know, uh, like with my husband now, I knew those things to look for. Um, you know, we're on our best behavior for the first few months, and then all of a sudden the true self shows up. But, yes, you're right. There are cases where there are people who met and have been married the entire time, and, you know, you have to ask yourself, is it just luck that they happen to be two whole happy people who are able to do that, or are these people who, like friends of mine who had arranged marriages, you know, you think, seriously, that works? And there's a friend of mine who's, um, she's Indian. She was in, a, in a, an arranged marriage. And she said, Deborah, it's kind of like this. It is a business negotiation. If you have a business partner, that business only survives if the two of you are willing to do what it takes to make it survive. So that's what this marriage is. I didn't love him when I married him. He didn't love me. It was a business deal. We have grown to love and respect each other. So, you know, I think there's a big cultural impact on how we look at marriage today, especially in America. Uh, we also have that kind of temporary society type of thing that we, we do what we want. Then you throw in there the thing I talked about earlier, that we are living, you know, twice as long as we used to before, so we truly do become different people. And so would you choose the same spouse at the age 50 that you would have chosen at the age of 25? And a lot of people, if they're being honest, might say No. Wow. I think another thing added to that, too, is uh, I'll just say two things. When people come to me, there's four exercises that are very critical that I use with couples. One, I have them do what is called an MBTI, which uh, allows you to see the thing, the traits that people are born with. Are they an extrovert, introvert? Do they have a sensing orientation, intuitive judging, perceiving, do they make decisions based on uh, facts and truth or emotions? And that starts, for one thing, to open the door to start understanding that there's more to the person than what meets the eye. The second thing is I have them go through their history from birth to see, okay, what has influenced and shaped your belief systems as well as your value systems and how you perceive gender and gender roles. Then the next thing that I have them do is don't just look at the past. What are the present plans for goals as a couple and individually, and can you support your partner's plans by being willing to compromise? What is your opinion of all of that? Yeah, it's the work that we talk about that has to be done. Uh, You have to be willing to compromise in any relationship. But there are so many things, Yvonne, you know this by studying psychology and and my uh, experience in it, there are so many things that play into what makes a whole relationship. We talk about the subconscious. We talk about, like you said, what you grew up with, what was lacking in your life. You know, uh, did you have parents who were emotionally unavailable? You know, for me, I had that, but I feel like I'm the mother that I wanted. So I've become the mother that I wanted. I think I've become the wife that I think my dad wanted in my mom. And so there are so many things that that influence how we choose and what we choose and when we choose it. And unless that work is done, I mean, I I think 
boy, it'd be great if counseling was required before everyone got married. <laughs> There's a lot of work to be done. I know several churches do that, and it's amazing how many times couples say, you know what, we just decided that we're really good friends, but um, marriage is something that we probably should not do because it's not based on the right reasons. The It's about time, or we seem to get along. Um, it's just not good enough for a lifetime relationship. We're, uh, Julia, we're going to skip going to our, our last break of the show because this is some stuff that I really think people need. Now, this next thing, Deborah, when we talk about learning how to speak another person's love language, and we know the book, The Five Love Languages, and just for those of you that don't know it, it's quality time, words of affirmation, giving gifts, uh, you know, I definitely touch and then that that big big thing is uh, the quality time. When we yeah. look, you mean at, paying attention to somebody? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you. Oh, damn. Yeah, but <laughs> that does help. But I want to ask you this: Do you think if someone's love language, like I know my love language is words of affirmation because I'm a communicator, and I know my other love language as touch and being a freak has nothing to do with that. I'm talking about the touch on the shoulder, a hug, just, you know, walking by on an embrace or a PDA. Do you feel that love languages are something that can be taught? And if they can be taught, do you think it becomes natural for someone to speak it? Or do you think that can be a deal breaker when someone just says, you know what, I'm not giving you no damn gifts. And, you know, I'm Sometimes there are intimacy issues that people have. There are some people who literally the idea of touching somebody in an intimate situation is really hard for them. I think it can be taught, and you take those small steps. But um, I also think that the first step is being made aware, and that, like you said, knowing somebody's love language, that you know that that little touch or that little kiss, you know, in the morning or whatever. Uh, Tom Arnold was on the show uh, a few months ago, and he talked about just kind of growing up with a mother who was like that was just not in the cards for her to be affectionate at all with her children. That's why he craved it. And in his relationships, his marriages, it fell apart because he said, don't let a day go by that you don't touch their hand or give them a kiss or look them in the eyes or touch them. He goes, the power of touch is amazing. And, you know, there's a whole generation that we grew up with of, of parents who didn't get that affection and so we produce these kids who don't know how to do that, you know. Um, but I think, yes, critical that you were made aware, first of all. And just being made aware, that in itself can change the direction of a relationship where, um, like you talked about, that power of touch for you, that if somebody's completely not touching you, you, you think of that in your head as you're ignoring me. I don't even exist. But when you touch somebody purposely, you have made a point of saying, I see you, I know you're there, I acknowledge you, and I invite you into my world as well. Wow. Now, let me ask this question. Do you, and now, this is a big one. There are a lot of women and men that have come in my office, and they're like, Doc, you know, I really, the guy or the woman is a wonderful parent. Um, matter of fact, they are a good spouse. However, I am not sexually into him or her, and we just, you know, it's like the the intimacy and the sex just isn't isn't light my fire. If anything, you know, when we say make it rain, it's actually just drizzling a little bit. It's best, it's maybe <laughs> and it feels like there. a chore more than more than something that you both want to share together. 
What do you think about that? Do you think there's enough toys and lubricant and dressing up like Colonel Sanders and rolling in the 11 urgent spices? <laughs> well, I don't know if Colonel Sanders will that thing are looking yeah. good. I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean. No. Um, you know, there are all kinds of things to look at in that. And, um there are the physical barriers, the things like the uh, the hormonal slides and things like that, for sure. You know, we hear all about the low T. Now with women, it's the thyroid, progesterone, estrogen, you know, the the whole bit. So there are those things that you do need to get checked out. There's a reason why sometimes that happens more in midlife than uh, any other time in life. And the reason why is because you have those hormone slides where you're just tired, and you're just not sexually interested. But then there's the psychological component, as you know, which can be stronger than anything. If you don't feel like you like somebody or you love that somebody, you're just in the relationship for convenience, then you sure aren't going to be um, attracted to them in that way. It will be seen like a chore. Um, and so it goes against the grain of if you don't like them, then why are you having sex with them? It's kind of that, that duality there. But that's one of those things that you have to honestly talk about and give the why. I think, you know, one of the questions you could ask is, would you sleep with another man or another woman at all? And if you would sleep with another person, then, then the issue is with, with, with your spouse. It's not that you're just not interested in sex. So then why? Why? And, and we, it's hard to be honest in a relationship. When you say, maybe this partner has gained weight, it's not sexy to me anymore. Okay, then can you open your mouth and work on that? Or maybe it's because of you just don't love that person anymore. Can you work on that? But it, I think um, what Tom Arnold was saying about the whole thing about touch, he said, when you stop touching each other, then you'll never have sex again. He says it just because you can't even go that far. If you can't even touch each other, you don't. You lose the ability to become closer to each other. You know, and the sad part of that too is that there's the opposite end of that spectrum, and that's when you have fallen um, under the spell of the, the the spirit of great sex. And, and here's what I mean: there are mm-hmm. times where there are, especially this happens with men and women, where they will be in a relationship with somebody that is battling addiction or mental health issues. I mean, I've had uh, one sister come to my office, and her husband has smoked up the TV, he smoked up his job, and he smoked Ugh. up the car. And, you know, what I mean, for those of you that cannot speak Ebonics, that means that the person is on crack. Got it? Yeah. So what happens is the guy has smoked up everything, and the lady is like, you know what, but Dr. Young, he puts it down in the bedroom. And then we all know about the men, the many men that have been whipped. And I'm not talking about like on 12 years of slave. I'm talking about the other kind of whipped. But they have been whipped by a woman sexually. And this woman is a serial cheater or, you know, she has a husband that she is not going to leave or the man has a wife that he's not going to leave. But now someone has gotten in this addictive relationship with someone that's mentally really either unstable and and they don't know it or they are just narcissistic or, or histrionic. Well, they, have their, they have their own addiction problem. I mean, they completely divorced the act from, you know, and what you could do. I mean, people can just straight up have sex. We know that. Um, but you got to know which one you're doing. Are you just having sex for self-gratification or are you sharing something with somebody in a relationship? And I think they're just two completely different acts. It's almost like when you look at affairs or people who cheat, 
Um, oftentimes, you know, if there's a, a relationship can be saved when that cheating did not have an emotional connection. If it has an emotional connection, most of the time, bye-bye, that person's gone. If it was strictly a sexual act, that can open the door to you getting that relationship back and that relationship thriving. But otherwise, um, yeah, you, you know, if you're going to be the enabler, if I, he smokes up everything, but he sure does great sex, I can't see the sense in that. Yeah, I, well, I know another way that people don't have to be on drugs, but here's a good one. When you get together with someone, and you have so much tension because what you have to invest in this relationship, and I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about the high cost when you are dealing with someone that doesn't want you to be around your friends, when they don't want you to be around your family, when uh, even your job, if, if now they're calling you two or three times a day, where are you, what are you doing, why are you going to lunch with a man or oh, with a woman? That's when you become a possession. That's when you become a possession. What do you think when you see a situation such as that uh, hit and someone says to you, says that, you know what, I'm investing way more than I can afford to How take it out of that? Yeah. No, that's when you become a possession, and that's when it's it, it, red flag leave. Because if you can't and, enjoy your life and be yourself and it's red flag, you got to go. And one other thing I want to hit at. When you are in a relationship and while you're being intimate or you're just riding down the street with or without the person that you're involved with and your mind is wondering, wondering <laughs> what it would be like to be with someone else. You mean else. When, you're, when you're going through your list of uh, chores at that moment? You're, do, you're doing your to-do list in your head? Yeah, or, or even worse yet, you're by yourself, and you're just actually more comforted by the thought of living by yourself than being and continuing this relationship with this other person. Yeah. And you know what? To me, that's okay. That When you come to that realization, you come to some honesty. And you, but you have to not live a dishonest relationship because you're going to have to share that with the person you're with. There comes a point where you have to say, I can't do this anymore. And here's the reason why. Now, what do we want to do about it? Do we want to try and work on that and save that? Or do you feel the same way? And, you know, oftentimes you get couples in your office who both of them feel the same way. It's just that one of them had to take the first step and say, okay, so here's the deal. You know, I, I remember what it was like for me. I finally just went home after getting in trouble for working. <laughs> I, I got home after an event that I did, and I was told, you're home too late, and I don't this, I don't appreciate it, whatever. And he had just gotten home himself, and I finally just said, get up out of the bed that I bought, out of the house that I bought, and we're going to have to end this. See, I told you to marry me, Deborah. No, I'm ah. <laughs> now, I've got to go here with this because I want to wrap this with giving people some solutions. Uh, last couple of things I want you all to pay attention to. If your partner uh, or you, is getting to a place where you are scared of what you want, 
or to say what you need or your effort to make your mate happy or for them to make you happy has just started becoming frigid, you may be stuck in a toxic relationship. And especially if you say, let's go to counseling, let's fix this, and they don't want to join you, red flag. The other thing is if they are calling you anything other than baby or honey, for those of you that are very, very slow, that means they're calling you out your name. And then the other thing is when you cannot be yourself anymore and you start pretending and you're patronizing and you're actually just going through the motions because of fear of retaliation or because you're just trying to keep the peace, being honest. But, but I, would, I would diminish honest. my job. I would diminish my job. I would, I would diminish what I did. I would act like it, you know, and I would, I would start putting myself down. And um, then I realized, you know, wait a minute, why am I feeling like I have to do that? When I do well, he does well too. So why is it that I have to, to put up with being, you know, disgraced like that? So what was your exit strategy, Deborah? We, we got about seven minutes left. Tell me what you can say to these women as well as some of these men that are listening. How do you finally put your big girl panties on or put your big boy boxes on and get the hell out of something? I think the first the first thing you do is ask yourself what role did I play in this because you know what the, you don't end up as a couple unless you allow yourself to end up as a couple so what role did you play in it and 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 I had to admit like I said earlier I picked someone who was not good to me because I didn't think I deserved someone to be good to me um, so you got to ask yourself what role you played and then you got to ask yourself if you were a whole person, would you have picked this person? And obviously, if that person has his faults as well, you two, if you think it's worth saving, both of you have to be willing to save it, not one of you. And that's where you see the biggest problems where that relationship goes on in a dysfunctional way because only one person is in the fight and the other one is not. So if neither one of you are willing to work on it or just one of you is willing to work on it, it's time to go just cut your losses, learn from it. That's the biggest thing, learn from it, and don't choose that same relationship again. You know, the phrase I used to, uh, I like to use a lot is, you know, if you want to change your moth, you have to change your light. And when you change your light, you get a different kind of moth. Wow, that's good stuff. Well, first, I want to thank you, Deborah Duncan, for joining me on this show this evening and I and asking a couple of questions. I know you have a schedule that uh, rivals that of President Obama. So where can people, other than seeing you on Great Day Houston, do you have some events coming up that we can afford a ticket to because they have you at this pricey stuff? But is this, uh, can how do they get to Great Day Texas's audience to get in the audience or Call or email the station um, and you know, great day he's at khiu.com and the tickets are free. Come down to the show. Uh, you never know what you're going to get. Like, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, right? There's something different all the time. You're on uh, oftentimes. I know we need to get you on for the holidays. Uh, one of the issues that a lot of folks deal with, of course, is when somebody's missing at that dinner table, you know, that holiday season, whether it is the, the divorced couple where that husband's not there or that wife is not there at the dinner table whether somebody has uh, passed away so uh, but yeah tickets to the show are, are free come on down and we always love to have audience participation and have you all email us and let us know what types of things that you would like to see on the show man that's been great and they can also go to deborahduncan.com is that correct 
You can go to DebraDuncan.com, find out a little bit more, uh, more about me and the things that uh, I'm doing in the community, and, yeah, join us. Well, hey, Deborah, it was more than an honor to have you on the show. I love you so much, and I want to thank you for uh, being with us this evening and know that there's a red carpet and an open door anytime you wish to visit us. I love you back. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. That was Deborah Duncan, ladies and gentlemen. And before we go, a couple of points I just want to hit out. Uh, I always try to recap things because for those of you that came in this thing late and missed out on some of the things that we were talking about, I want to hit these things home for you because I really feel that it is very important that we pay attention and love ourselves enough not to get in a dysfunctional relationship. So here's a few things. If you are more concerned with your wedding than your marriage, probably barking up the wrong tree. If there's no trust there, you're definitely in a bad spot. If you can't see yourself parenting that person's kid, you don't need to be there. Uh, if you have compromised morals and beliefs and values, you've got to talk about it. More than anything else, if you're being pressured, you're not ready to compromise, or if you're not even willing to learn to speak that love language and don't know your own, you do not need to be rushing down the altar or jumping a broom. If anything you want to do is pick the broom up and sweep up that mess before it happens. Now, before we go off air, and Julia will be going off in about one minute, I want to say this. Make sure that you don't look for something in someone else that you do not possess inside yourself. How can you see in other people that which you cannot see in you? It's just not going to happen. And if you keep putting out more than you're getting back, maybe it's time for you to say Sarnayara because all relationships happen for a reason, a season, and a lesson. And when it's over, let it go. And if it's not over yet, maybe it's time for you to grow. With that said, we have got some shows coming up for you guys over the next 30 days. We've got everybody from Kim Burrell, Brian Courtney Wilson, uh, one of the stars of The Real Housewives of Atlanta, and a lot more coming back. So definitely tune in with us on Wednesday at noon to my friends in the U.K., to the Caribbean, to the Virgin Islands, to those of you in Barbados, Australia. I want to tell you thanks for supporting the program. We love you, and have an awesome week. God bless you. Talk to you soon. This has been Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young.